going to be continuing on in our study through uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to hopefully finish up chapter 2 this morning. So glad that everyone is here. Spend a little time in the Word of God this morning. We drove back in from Little Rock yesterday where um, we were a part of the Agape Conference that is uh, taking place this weekend and finishing up this morning at the Pleasant Valley Church uh, there in Little Rock. Our own Scott and Glenda Fertig uh, are there. I think their son, Nolan, attends there. Is that right? Uh, so they were uh, there. I saw them at the conference, and apparently, um, as has been told me this morning, uh, Scott and Glenda sent some videos to some of you or posted them somewhere, um, and it seems like there is a lot of clamoring for people to learn some of my dance moves that I use on stage. So uh, if there is enough interest, I may uh, begin a Zumba class um, and uh, let you guys know how I, I do all of that. Uh, please don't watch TikTok today or, or any of that kind of stuff and, and see these videos. Uh, my own daughter posted a, um, a, tic, a TikTok video. I don't even know how to get on TikTok, but um, anyway, there's stuff out there. But if you want to know the truth, come and talk to me, and I'll, uh, I'll set you straight on all of that. We did have a good time. Um, it's always fun to sing uh, with, um, with some of the old guys and to praise our God in heaven. He is so worthy of that. And I don't see why you can't have a little fun at the same time. appreciate Justin's reading this morning. Uh, as he finished up there in Philippians, Paul said that you are my joy and my crown. Uh, I want us to look at a, a couple of different passages before we go to Thessalonians. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. The brother of our Lord said this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. I'm in verse 12. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So those of us who persevere under trial will receive what he says is the crown of life. 1 Peter chapter 5 Peter is, is addressing uh, elders, and at the beginning of the chapter, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And then he has this charge, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And notice this. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The crown of glory. That, that's, that's awaiting our shepherds those men who serve the church well, when the chief shepherd appears, 
they will receive the crown of glory. And then Revelation chapter 4, I want to point out a verse to you here. Revelation chapter 4. John says that he is he's in the spirit. He says, there before me was a throne in heaven. Someone was sitting on the throne, and then he goes in and begins to explain how beautiful and radiant this one who is sitting on the throne. And then he talks about these, um, these creatures, and then there are 24 elders who are, who are gathered around the throne. And in, in verse 9, he says, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns, or they cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This this image, this imagery that these, these elders are, are taking the crowns that they have, these golden crowns that are on their head, and they're casting those crowns, they're laying those crowns before the throne, and they're worshiping the one who alone is worthy. I like this idea, this, this imagery of, of receiving a crown. Blessed are those who will receive this crown of life. The, the, the elders will receive a crown of glory. It's this idea that when we, when we finish the race, when we have been faithful to the one who was faithful to God, then we'll, we'll receive this crown. Not, not a, a physical, literal crown, but the idea of having finished the race, that there will be something, there will be a prize that awaits us, those of us who will spend an eternity with God. Now let's go back to our, our text this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 13. And just to remind you of, of what we have read up to this point, Paul was, was faithful. He was faithful in his manner among the Thessalonians, in his message that he brought them. Uh, he was faithful in his motive. He says, we didn't come and, and try to trick you. We, we weren't there for, for anything but to share the gospel with you. And he was faithful in, in, in his method, the way that he shared the gospel. Last Sunday, we talked about how nurturing Paul was. He was, was like a nursing mother uh, giving life to these uh, Thessalonians uh, with the gospel. He also was like a spiritual father to them. He encouraged them. He comforted them. And then as a father would do, he urged them there in verse 12 to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Some versions say he urged them to live, to walk worthy of God. And now our text this morning, beginning in verse 13. The word of the Lord says this. And we also thank God continually 
Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now, you understand that God's word is, is so different from man's word, do you not? When, when Paul and his companions came to Thessalonica, they, they used words, obviously. They're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that, that Christ died for their sins, he was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected. They preached this good news and, and other things uh, that obviously go along with that, and some of those Thessalonians responded. They heard that word, and they received it, not that it was just Paul's words, but he says, as it actually was, the word of God. You see, when God speaks, things happen. God speaks where there is nothing, and then there is something. God creates something out of nothing. When, when you and I uh, have a project to do around the house, or when we want to build something, we want to accomplish something, we have to get a list of materials together. And maybe we go to the hardware store, or we go to Lowe's or Home Depot when we buy things. We have to, to use resources that are already available to us. God is not that way. God thinks of something, and in his mind, in the beauty and the power of his mind, he, he comes up with something, and then he speaks it into existence. You've never seen that happen. You've never seen a man do that because it's impossible with men, but not so with God. When God thinks of something, he speaks where nothing exists, and then something exists exactly the way he wants it to exist. And so Paul says, you receive these words that we shared, not that they were our words, but as they actually were, the very words of God. That's why it is so imperative that we spend time in this word so that when we speak, we speak as if we're speaking the very oracles of God, that we're speaking the very words of God, because that's what this book is, the very words in the very heart of God. And look at what Paul says. What a divine resource this is for us. He says, you received, where am I? You received this word from us that you heard from us as the word, not of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You see, this book is alive. It's the only book that I know of on the planet that is living and breathing. This book is actually alive. And Paul says that you have this divine resource at your disposal because this word, they didn't actually have a leather-bound copy with uh, duct tape on it, but they had the word, the literal, the word of God that was living and working in their lives. Isn't that beautiful? That's amazing, and that's what we have at our disposal this morning as well, the word of God. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea which are in Christ Jesus. Now, on one hand, they became imitators of those churches in that they had received the word of God. 
that it had begun to work in their lives, as we saw in chapter one. And it says that there's no need to talk about your faith because everybody's heard about it. Everybody knows about your faith in all the surrounding areas because it has gone forth from you. It has echoed out. You, the message has, has rung out, rung out from your lives. It rang out from you. Everybody heard it. But notice what he says, how they also became imitators of them. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Not only had you received the word as the word of God, that word has already begun to work in you and to change you, you have become imitators of, of your other brothers in that you suffered the same things that they were suffering. It almost seems like uh, in, in the early church, in the first century especially, that, that that was just a natural occurrence, that it was expected. Something that if you, if you follow Jesus Christ, if you really gave your, your life to Jesus, it was going to come with some suffering. It was just a natural, normal part of their walk. Something that seems so foreign to us because of, of the time and the place in which we live. And, and on one hand, it is a beautiful thing to stand in this pulpit and to say, God, thank you. And I heard this all my life growing up, and see if this sounds familiar. Thank you that we can gather here without fear of molestation. <laughs> you remember hearing that? Um, and, and it's a beautiful prayer. I'm thankful that we were able to come here this morning without fear of molestation. Nobody bothered me. I drove my, my truck here and assembled here with you, and I su suppose you guys did the same. But there's also something about suffering. There's something about persecution that actually makes the church thrive, makes it grow. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive to you? That where where there is freedom to assemble and do anything we want, there seems to be lack of growth at times. But where there is persecution, struggle, that's where the gospel seems to thrive and where people, the church seems to be growing. Go to China. I've been to China, but of all the things I've read over the last four or five years, China has exploded with growth. And they are one of the most persecuted places to be a Christian. In the Middle East, where you could literally die on any day for professing the name of Jesus, the gospel is growing. It's expanding. And yet here in America, where we are the land of the free, home of the brave, the church is dying. It's dwindling. Churches are closing their doors every day. Why is that? I, for one, am not praying for persecution. But it always seems that when trouble and hardship come to the church, that seems to be when people really get serious. That, that's why I think the church has exploded in Togo. They're not openly 
persecuted by the government. They're not thrown into jail. But just because of the hardship, because they struggle for daily bread, every day they get up and it's just about finding enough clean water and, and getting enough food to survive today. Because of that environment, when the gospel comes to them and they accept it, they cling to it. They cling to it, and they want other people to know about it. Um, persecution and hardship seem to make the church of God grow, and that's what he says here, that you have suffered from your own countrymen the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews. The Jews who killed the Lord, the prophets, they drove us out. And he says, they displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And in this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. I don't know if he's talking about uh, a judgment that is, that is right there upon them or if he's speaking of that judgment that is to come in the future. But the wrath of God, he says, is being stored up for them. Verse 17, but, brothers, when we were torn away, you, torn away from you for a short time, in person, but not in thought, like, like Willie sang about, you were always on my mind. He says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again. But Satan stopped us. Now look at this. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What is that? What is it that we hope for in our joy? In our, where are we finding our joy? What is our crown? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Paul says when, when Jesus comes back, when he returns, where is our hope? What is our joy and crown? He says it's, it's you. You Thessalonians who, who responded to the gospel, who received that word just like it was from God, not from us. He says you are our joy. You are our crown. I was thinking about a young lady. She was in college at the time. Uh, this was probably 25 years ago in Oklahoma City. She came to the church where I was working uh, because she was dating a young man. She had started dating him, and uh, she was coming to church with him. She did not grow up going to church anywhere. Her parents never took her to church. When she got 16 years of age, she got her driver's license. She started attending church with some of her friends because she was, was really interested. She started dating this guy, came to our church, and then the young man broke up with her. <laughs> he broke up with her and dropped her like a hot potato. But she kept coming because she was really desiring to learn about God after talking with her a little bit, I asked her if she wanted to study, study the Bible with me, and she said, yes, I'd really like to. So we set up a weekly time. Sometimes it was every other week, depending on her, her, uh, her schedule. But I started studying with her, and I was just letting her ask questions because she was just a, a blank slate. 
and she was just soaking everything up like a sponge. And so we were reading something, and we came across the passage where Jesus says, oh, this, this generation is always looking for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth, the belly of the earth for three days. You remember that? So I read that to her, and I said, now, you remember the story of Jonah? And she said, no. I said, what do you mean you don't know the story of Jonah? Everybody knows Jonah. She says, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. And I got, I got frustrated just for a second because I, I was wanting to get further down the road. I was, wanting to, I was wanting to get her in the baptistry. I was wanting her to say, yes, and let's go get baptized. And that, that's sort of my mindset. When, I, when I'm talking about the gospel, man, I want people to respond. I want them to hear it and say, yes. So I had to kind of gear back a little bit. And I thought, okay, now I've got, now I've got to go tell her the story of Jonah. Because she, she never went to church. She never went to Bible class. She'd never been to VBS. She'd never heard the story of Jonah in the belly of the fish. So we go and we do all that. Long story short, she, uh, she responded to the gospel. And it was just a beautiful thing um, to see this young woman who'd never gone to church a day in her life, came to church with her boyfriend who then dumped her, saying yes to Jesus, and I got to baptize her into Christ. And then I thought about a young lady that I baptized about three or four years ago in Togo. I didn't baptize her, but someone else did. They took me to a village, and I was just studying with one person here, and then they would maybe bring a couple of people to me here. I sat down under this tree, this mango tree, and they brought this young lady to me. She was just had a hard look about her, very sad. She was about the same age as this other girl. She's probably 19 or 20 years old. She had a, a three-year-old baby and a, and, a, and a brand new baby, a newborn. It was only maybe a month or two old. They brought her to me, and I began to talk to her through my interpreter about Jesus, presenting the gospel to her. And at the end of the study, with tears in her eyes, she, she said to my interpreter, she said, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And she wanted to be baptized. So they, they took her and they baptized her. And when she came back, she went into the house. She had married a Muslim uh, and he had died um, uh, on a, in a motorcycle accident. The year before that, both of her parents died of, of, of disease. And she literally was just an orphan in this world. There was a, a Christian family that had taken her in and they could barely feed themselves, much less another grown woman and, and two babies. And so they were all struggling. But when she got back to the house, she went into their house, she changed clothes, and she came back out. And she knelt down in front of me. She bowed down in front of me. And she said, thank you. She said, today, I have received salvation because you came to my village. Oh, <laughs> one of the most humbling moments of my life. Because I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> if you only knew me like I know me, 
It's just amazing that God will use a sinful human being to do anything good. And I said, get up, child. I was like, get up. Today, I have received salvation because you came to my village and told me about Jesus. I've never forgotten it. I'll never forget it. And when I stand before the Lord, it won't be about any dance moves on stage. <laughs> it won't be about singing here or singing there. Or any. When I stand before the Lord, I'm thinking specifically about these two young women. That will be my joy. That'll be my crown. If there's anything I can glory about, it'll be that there are people on this planet that have responded to the gospel because I opened my mouth and I shared it with them. Nothing more. That's all I have to glory about, that I shared the gospel and someone received it. That's what Paul says about the Thessalonians. When Jesus returns, when he comes again, you are our hope and our joy and our crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus. I never quite understood it when I was a kid, but I always loved the song, On a Hill Far Away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I never, I never understood what that meant. I think I understand a little bit better now. Just as those four elders took their golden crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus, anything that we might possibly glory in, anything that maybe we think we have achieved will seem as nothing in the presence of the Holy One and we'll lay our trophies at his feet, and we will worship him and only him.